Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Oh, the sky is blue. Feels like fall outside. It is a beautiful day. We got two hours playing for you coming up. We're going to talk, well, we're going to talk a whole lot of football. Got some two really good college football guests today, and we'll talk Titans and Colts and NFL like we always do. Ross Dellinger at 115. Um, Ross covers college football for Sports Illustrated. And here's the thing. This 12-team playoff that everybody was so excited about that it looked like all they were going to have to do was just take a big old rubber stamp and boink, just rubber stamp it. Boink. <laughs> all blown up, looks like. Rubber blown stamp, up. Man. What happened? They changed their mind? The well, powers to be? Oh, they I, changed their I, mind? They, I, they are entitled to change their mind? They are, but I think when Sank the Tank uh, had that midnight raid of the Big 12, uh, everybody they, got PO'd, and suddenly they're not, they don't like that. That's 12 teams. That's not good. Everybody was all on board oh, for this. Oh, man. They couldn't handle some change and curveballed them, and they didn't like it? No. Welcome to the real war, guys. Yeah. Uh, that's on the committee. Really? Yeah. Oh, you don't like it when it's done to you. But and when now, you do it to other body else, it's okay. And now, Blaine, former <laughs> college athlete Blaine Bishop. Um, <laughs> well, I faked that. They, for a they bit. seem to be nervous about, well, they're just going to have to play too long. Well, some of those games being really cold places. That's just, it's not good for the student mm. athlete. That that argument is being made now. Uh, they better now. Stop. They better stop that. No, <laughs> they, they, yes, they, they better stop, stop that because nobody was talking about it. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. No one... Because if you win, you have to play about 17 games. And one of the arguments I heard was, well, I mean, Alabama does it every year. They play so many games. Um, but, yeah, that, it, suddenly that that matters. Student-athlete welfare is coming up now. Yeah. We just don't know about that. That's too many games for those teams. Whenever money's involved, everybody can make more money. Yeah. And you, as long as I'm making more than you, you know. Because I'm just like, okay, at some point, the dam's going to break. Right. And you go, okay, how will the TV contracts be broken up? How will the bowl games be compensated or not? Or will they get less or more? Right. Uh, you know, where does the, the group of five fit into with the power of five? Do they say, nope, you cannot no longer be a part of this? Or will they say, oh, okay, sure, if you have one team that's pretty good, we'll, we'll let you guys in. And then how do they get disperse some of that money? You know, so <laughs> there's a lot of tentacles to this. And I think once they dug into it, they said, you know what? We're moving a little too fast, and let's just see what happens with uh, Texas Oklahoma. And by the way, they probably don't want you know the the SEC to get like four teams. So the Big Ten and the, and the SEC are going back and forth of who's the mighty king. And you know, naturally, let's let them both be kings. That's what I would say. Well, uh, the Pac-12, you haven't been able to get anybody arrested in the playoffs in how many years? And this was your chance that your champion was going to go every year. You had a chance with twelve teams. Now maybe you try to get it shrunk down, and you say, okay. Only the top four, no longer the Big 12, but the Big 12 has still got a seat at the top. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but when you said the group of five, there's a 99.999% chance that the group of five gets screwed again. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's just a yeah, Now, Oregon beat Ohio State at Ohio State. So, sure in, the, in, the, in the Power Five they, the, from the Pac-12, they, they have a huge argument, but they got to run the gauntlet, I'm sure. And I think they can. Yeah. But you just never know when you're dealing with college student-athletes, you know. You never know. He could have a bad day, flunk this test, and then he was thinking about his test when the guy got, you know, toasted him or he threw an interception. If my mind wasn't in, he wasn't locked in. Hey, can I just can I just bring this up, too? We were doing shows this summer, and all the name, image, and likeness stuff happened, and, and, uh-huh. and there were national college people saying that it was going to ruin college athletics and the whole the soul of the game was gone. It, 
Remember all that stuff? <laughs> People stood up on a box. They were mad like a 20-year-old kid was going to, you know, endorse a local car so place money, or a right. barbecue restaurant. And they just lost their mind over that. That's and Once again, only like the superstars. Right. Quarterback, the super, right. you know, maybe the running back. You know, some been compensated with their their linemen, or you know, because of they're the quarterback. Sure, so. there are some great stories. Like at BYU, they had an alum with the business, and he walked into a practice. Did you see this? Like walked into post practice yeah. meeting, and he was like, "Everybody who's a walk on stand up." And they all stood up. He goes, "You're all my endorsers now. You're on scholarship." Yeah. How could anybody be against that? Yeah. How could you be against that? I mean that. So all you people, and, and I, none of you called in and told us it was going to ruin anything. It was all these talking head national guys. And I kept saying, no, it's not. Because they still have a, a, a red Alabama helmet with white numbers or a white helmet with an orange T on it or a middle Tennessee logo or whatever it is on their helmet. And they're just going to go out and play football and everybody's going to watch. And guess what? The viewership is up and there's more people in stadiums. And, and I'm sorry, I, I know that's a COVID scare for people. But everything is up for college football. Nobody cares that the quarterback is getting a free, you know, Hyundai because he did a commercial. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Well, because we all we care about is the entertainment. And it's such fantastic entertainment. College oh. football, my gosh. Yeah. You got to play. I just got to watch it my whole life. Oh, well, you know, but the, the passion to play college football is totally different <sighs> than the NFL. It, it is. I think some guys lose grasp of that when they get in the league and they get the money and they kind of like, all right, they take a deep breath and they relax. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just kind of like Aaron Rodgers. Relax. A different relax, though. And they relax. The, they can relax themselves out of the league. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to a lot of talented dudes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure telling does. you, man. So a guy like me that was a lay rider, I was always fighting. Well, I, I was just like Lucas. Here's the other thing, too. <laughs> and, and you talk about the passion to play college sports because a lot of people just around here, they're SEC fans, and they see these guys traveling first class, fine first class. They only play games on Saturday and they have these $85,000 million facilities with a barber shop and a disco in it and everything else, and they got a custom chef making all their meals. Well, it's not like that everywhere. You know, a bunch of Sunbelt Mac kids, they get on a bus and or an airplane, and they fly somewhere on you know Monday after class, and then they play a game on a Tuesday night, and then they get home Wednesday as the sun comes up. And guess what? Kids with a messed up ankle or a messed up shoulder or messed up you know, whatever, what do they do? They get home at 4 o'clock, they go straight to where? Trainer's room. Try to get themselves well enough to practice. Well, guess what? About 7.15, the trainer goes, hey, man, you got to get off the STEM machine because you got to get to class. class. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, I know. I, I cannot imagine doing we, – we never played on a Tuesday or a Thursday, so I don't know how that dynamic it would work for me. I don't know if I, I could actually – man, that would be really tough. So I knew every Friday that that was, you know, when we were leaving. And you may miss a class, maybe not, yeah. especially for conference games. You you never hardly ever miss it because you're, you're busing somewhere four hours or less. Uh, it was only the, you know, the big games that we would have, you know, three games out of conference every year that you knew you were. Fly to Clemson, it. fly to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, those are, oh, boy, I <laughs> live, I live for those. I know, I and know. And then they were always early, so, you know, <laughs> class is really not getting to going yet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was pumped up. I was very focused. Like, oh, this is where I'm going to make my name. And, if, and some people said, this is where I lose my name. <laughs> some people did. Hey, because hey, you were trying to get the league. They yeah. really look at the film when you play. Yeah. Oh, okay, this guy played the big guys three times. How did he do? Oh, he disappeared. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's going to disappear from our draft board. <laughs> yeah.
But but for everybody who thinks it's all just a picnic, it, it's not a picnic. And even the even the guys at the big schools who play on every Saturday and have the best of everything, guess what? They still got to get up and go to the training room at five o'clock to try to keep themselves well enough to practice at three o'clock because they're going to go to class in between. They're going to run and eat some lunch. Uh, they still have to make their grades so they can play. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, had to be as well. You know, some of those guys. What I have to say about. The kids who really have issues are, you know, that are student athletes are the ones who can't manage time. And what I had to figure out was, you know, you still want that college experience as being like a regular student. Right. So you want to go out and party and have a great time. Well, party time as an athlete, I figured it out, was only going to be on for home games Saturday night. That's it. After the game. After the game. There you go. Home games. That's it. Away games, nope. We get back like, no, mm-mm. No, I'm not doing it. So then once you realize your schedule, so you can feel like you at least was a part of that, you know, and you wanted to have a good time. If not, then you're just really like a robot every day. You do the same exact things. Get up, work out, go to class, you know, go to practice, live weights, go back, treatment, study hall, same thing, over and over and over again. See how my voice sounded? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gets boring and some guys lose focus. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're like, screw it. I yeah. ain't going to treatment and tonight. Coach, I'm yeah, not going coach to be like, yeah. hey, man, uh, we saw you weren't going to class. Yeah. Uh, you got to go to study hall every single day of this year. <laughs> See, that's what'll happen. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, the other thing, too, focused. and this is just since we're on this, uh, by the way, Carson Wentz didn't practice again today. Biggest story. Re- well, the biggest story is Brett Hundley took some first team reps. Yeah, Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley. the practice squad. Yes. Oh. Uh, this came up. Where did this come up yesterday? Because we brought it up right before. We brought it up at some point on the show. Somebody had said Brett Hundley's name. And we were like, wait a second. That guy used to play for the Packers? Yes. Yeah, that's him. Packers 16, 7. He was with the Green Bay Packers in 16. He played in 16 and 17. Uh, he played in four games in 2016. He started nine games in 2017. So he started nine in his career. He's played in 18 games. He went three and six with the Packers, 61% completion, nine touchdowns, 12 interceptions uh, for Brett Hundley. That's a whole lot more experience, I guess, than Jacob Eason. Maybe they're getting super nervous because they did put Eason out there. He threw a handful of passes. He threw one to Jalen Ramsey on Sunday. Maybe they're nervous. Like, well, Hundley's at least seen some defense. Well, I mean, he's a second-year quarterback. You say, man, maybe he's not the type to – maybe he wasn't prepped. He wasn't ready to go out there and play uh, because maybe they say that ball shouldn't even been thrown just on pre-snap read. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I don't care if they have a two-headed monster. As long as we walk out of there with a win at quarterback, I do not care, man. I'm not – Brett Hundley, you know – He's a he's a solid player. Is that he? That's the kid that went to UCLA years ago. Yes, uh, he was a fifth round pick. He's full size. He's six three, two twenty six. That's yeah. that's quarterback size. Like, he, did, who did who draft? I thought Arizona drafted him. He went to Green Bay in round five. five he was, was there Green fifteen, Bay. sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Then he was with the Seahawks for a year, which nobody ever plays when Russell Wilson's the quarterback. Yeah. I could be the second string quarterback for the Seahawks. I have, used to have a dream. I was a Titans third string quarterback. I literally. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a minute. You had a. You used to have dreams that you were the third string quarterback. Do we have time for this? Yes, we do. Yeah, we tell us about this dream that you always have all the time. Stop. All the time. I haven't had it in years. I guess I lost hope. I aged out of that dream. <laughs> like my my mind was like, I mean, you did either dad. When I met Bishop, this this was probably what ended. I'm dead serious. Bishop Sankey's dad was standing me at practice one day, and I was oh, holding Bishop's my dad. son. He was a baby. 
I was holding my son. He was a baby. And Bishop Sankey's dad said, yeah, I'm here to see my son. I was like, which one's your son? He's like, Bishop. And I was like, hey, man, he's a nice kid. We love him. Because he is a nice kid. Oh, he's the best. Wait, that's your son? And he's like, yeah. He goes, is that? Uh, I said, yes, that's my son. I was holding as a baby. Mm-hmm. And I said, you mean, do you mind me asking? I'm just curious. How, how old are you? And he was four years younger than I am. And his son was in the NFL, and my son pooped his pants as I asked him the question. <laughs> so I never had that dream again after that because my body told my subconscious mind, hey, man, you can't be the backup quarterback of nothing. You're old. old. Well, that, so that was the realization That's that you what, could never be the backup quarterback for the Titans when your son really pooped in your, your arm. While talking to Bishop Sankey's dad, who was younger than me, had a full-grown A son playing in the NFL. But I had the dream for years. And, and Did you ever get in the game? No. That was the greatest thing about it. And, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you this. I've never told this. I've told this story before. I've never told this part. I never told this, this part. <laughs> I didn't know the plays. <laughs> I didn't know any of the plays. I mean, we had a playbook. Hilarious, man. I had a playbook, but I was like real popular. So I never played in the games. And in my dreams, I was always like at a community appearance or something. And people were super happy to see me. Because I was like my size now. And I was like this curiosity, like the Doug Flutie of Nashville. Like, look at this little guy. He's the back of third string. He's the third string quarterback for the Titans. I was always third string. And my biggest fear was, what if they want me to play? Not because I was afraid I'd get killed. It's because I never learned the plays. Because I thought, I'm never going to play. They know I'm not any good. (laughs) But I'm great in the community. Please tune into the rest of this story (laughs) in episode two. This is what happens when the first day of fall arises today. People got to go cuckoo for for coconuts. (laughs) What the heck? You were in the dream sometimes. We're teammates. That will be in episode two. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 104.5. This is old Blade and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. So, yeah, we ended the last segment. I used to have this dream constantly that I was the third-string quarterback of the Titans. Ross Dellinger joins us now from Sports Illustrated. Ross, do you have any, like, ongoing, completely unattainable athletic dreams? Because for years I dreamed I was the third-string quarterback of the Titans, and you've never met me. I mean, I, I may be 5'9", and my ideal weight is about a buck sixty-seven. <laughs> uh I don't know. I don't, I certainly don't have uh, don't have dreams of being a, a backup quarterback for fear that I would somehow make it into the game and uh, be killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, mine actually is. I'm afraid to go in because I don't know the plays. <laughs> in my dream, I never know the plays. So uh, there's that. Um, Ross Dellinger, our guest again, does a fantastic job covering uh, college football for Sports Illustrated. So let's start with this. Uh, Blaine and me are Ball State. He's Ball State. I'm Arkansas State, guys. We were so excited this summer because they were just going to rubber stamp this plan. And Ross and, and a group of five team was going to go to the promised land. We were so excited. And just ever since then, you know, Greg Sankey raids the Big 12 in the middle of the night. Now everything is blown up. How did we get here, Ross? Yeah. Well, it, it yeah, it does start with, uh, the conference realignment. I, I think that that had an impact, um, uh, and it, it it's it's more of kind of a uh, petty impact, if you will. Um, a lot of commissioners uh, are a little frustrated uh, by 
by that, by the SEC's acquisition of two of the, the powers in uh, college football. And in addition to that, uh, the commissioner who, who did that, uh, the SEC commissioner, was on the subcommittee that created the model, um, you know, that created the 12-team uh, the proposal. So there's a little bit uh, of, in you know, Greg Sinke is having his integrity attacked a little bit. So it does start with all that, but I think that what's overshadowed is you have a new several new commissioners, specifically in the ACC, and uh, even more specifically in the Pac-12. Uh, you have new commissioners, um, you know, who have come in and maybe want to have, have different ideas and ideas of, of their own, and uh, that's where we are. We're, we're at a place where the commissioners will all meet again tomorrow or next week, and um, we'll further explore uh, a playoff final. Ross Dellinger, our guest to talk college football, college athletics here on Blaine and Mickey. Well, Ross, I'm not. I'm not going to stick with that. I'm going to go a little left here. Uh, just talk about this season from the beginning. It just seems like the the big powers to be are kind of leveling out and coming back to the field a little bit. Uh, I'm talking about more Clemson, Alabama. You know all the big names. Well, why do you think that is? As the as the portal really affected those teams as it looks, or maybe that has nothing to do with it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we're we're definitely um, you know for the first time uh, I'd say after the the first three weeks, the first time in a while we're we're seeing uh, that we might have a little bit of uh, of parity uh, in the in the playoff this year of college football. Um, Alabama, everybody everybody has kind of shown some weaknesses, and and I think part of it is because all these major programs have just in the first three weeks. Played uh, played pretty good schedules. Played pretty good competition, um, and and so we're we're getting a better gauge. Um, they, they weren't like three cupcakes, you know. Florida played Miami in a neutral field, and then went down and played Florida. Um, you know, Clemson uh, played Georgia, of course, in a neutral field, and then and then Ohio State played Oregon. And we are we're seeing Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Um, three programs that make up, you know, 60, I think 50, 60% of the playoff spots the last five years or the last seven years, we're seeing them um, have some weaknesses, right? And uh, and outside of them playing decent competition early in the year, I don't know, I don't know what else is behind it. Um, maybe their competitors have filled holes with, with transfers. Like you, you mentioned there, maybe it's the transfer portal. Um, you know, talking actually to Oregon's um, Mario Cristobal about that. He, you know, you can plug and immediately play players. So if you're if you're one of those second rung programs, uh, not the Alabamas and the Clemsons, and um, you've got some holes on your team, you can immediately go to the transfer portal and, and fill them. And and maybe that is a part of what's happening. We're on with uh, Ross Dillinger, uh, college football writer for Sports Illustrated. Uh, I guess you would know better than most. Who's on the list? Since they're not using a search firm for USC uh, head coach, uh, football coach uh, job, uh, who do you think is on the list or who should be on the list? Well, I don't know who's really on the list, and I assume the list is probably quite quite long. Uh, you know, usually, I mean, we're, you know, we're obviously – 
uh, far out from uh, any higher you'd think being made. So this is going to be a long two, two and a half month process. And usually what happens in these situations is you have a long list of 15, 20 names and you whittle that down to maybe five to seven and, and then that gets whittled down to, to maybe two, three, four names. Uh, but I think right now there are probably a lot of names on the list. And, you know, it's it's I've got the same kind of names that uh, everybody else has reported over the last week or so. And uh, at the top of the list seems to to be Penn State coach James Franklin. And, and every year he's mentioned with that job. And I think that's probably a good indicator that either <laughs> – he's interested in that job or certainly his agents uh, think he's interested in that job or for whatever reason, uh, want to get his name out there because it's every year now, three or four years running that his name has been mentioned for that job. And, and then you have, you know, then you have the, the, the plenty of other, other candidates, you know, Cincinnati head coach, Luke Fickle, uh, yeah, you know, he worked for Mike bone, the AD at, at USC. So, He's certainly uh, a name to watch. Uh, people have thrown around Bill O'Brien's name. He's Alabama's offensive coordinator and um, had previously been head coach at Penn State. And So there's a lot of them. I, I, I guess the list right now is over a dozen names long. Well, I'm with Ross Dillinger, college football writer for Sports Illustrated. I guess one more for me before Mickey delves into this, you know, uh, this expansion and playoff deal, and that is – you know, I was a you know I was more known for a hitter, but can you explain targeting to me? Because you know I'm a blockhead here, so I, I need to get some clarity on the actual rule for college football. Well, it's uh, it's funny you ask that question. I'm in the middle of of working on a story about uh, how the the targeting uh, rule might change in in the future. Um, I think we're we're going to have a change in the targeting rule where. Um, you know, it's going to be split into into two tiers. Uh, I think you're going to have a, a tier one targeting that will be a penalty, 15-yard um, penalty, and a tier two that is going to be more malicious intent. That would be a, a penalty in the ejection. So I think that's what we're heading for. Um, you know, I, I'm confused myself about the targeting uh, penalty, but I will say uh, – just talking to officials, actual, you know, referees and games and such, uh, that it, the target penalty has done its job. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's the decrease in the number of, um, targeting calls are going down. The, the, the decrease in head to head contact has gone down helmet to helmet. So now we have to kind of turn the page and scale it back a little bit, probably because, um, you know, it's, it's getting called, uh, things are getting called at a rate that is a little um, alarming and, and it's a very significant penalty to, to eject a player, not just from that game, but potentially from half of the following game. And I think that's what officials are really looking at is trying to do away with that um, and maybe clarify a little more what targeting is. Cause yeah, you know, you know, I think there's two, I believe there's two, parts of the targeting rule it's it's um using any part of your body uh to hit the the you know the helmet of a defenseless player Uh, and that's a key word defenseless or it's using your helmet i believe the spear uh the helmet of any other player um 
So it's kind of those two things, and, and they can be very subjective. Well, with Ross Dellinger, college football writer for uh, Sports Illustrated. Ross, I, I noticed earlier today you tweeted out uh, you had a series of tweets about the results of an NCAA Constitution survey that got released, and it was interesting because you said the majority of D2 and D3 uh, administrators thought that the governance structure no more was needed, um, but over two-thirds of Power 5 administrators believe governance change is needed, and you had suggestions listed as possible break away from Division One or break away from NCAA oversight, and I, I thought that was so just ironic because you can't even get those guys in a room right now to agree on something they had already agreed upon with the college football playoff, but they're still just going to hold hands and walk off into the sunset together because they don't like what the NCAA is, is going to do. Yeah, it's it's really hard to to see them agreeing on uh, agreeing on anything, but you know it's it's uh, I kind of compare it to how the country feels uh, you know feels about Congress. Like you know you can't get you can't get uh, anybody uh, any of us in the country to agree on anything except that Congress is worthless. You know, right. and so. Uh, you just kind of hear that over and over again. And it's kind of the same thing with the NCAA. You can't get anybody in college athletics to agree on anything except right. That the NCAA um, in its governance model is, is terrible and needs to change. So um, they can't agree on that in, in uh, for the most part. And, and that's what we're seeing. We're, we're, you know, this constitutional committee is discussing ways to change the governance model. And I think one of the ways to change the governance model um, is to have the FBS or the Power Five um, govern itself, and doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, you know uh, this reverberates down into championships or you know all that stuff. I mean, the NCA probably will continue to host championships and and run them, um, but just the way things are governed and the rules are made, uh, I think you could see a situation where uh, conferences will start to have more power to uh, make, you know, their own rules together in groups. Uh, and, and maybe that's a grouping of the Power Five, or maybe that's a grouping of the 10 FBS conferences. Ross Dellinger, our, our guest. So let me ask you this. So the things that, that were sort of getting swept aside when it looked like the 12-team thing was steaming towards happening – things like player safety or it's going to be really cold in some of these places. What about the Rose Bowl? Uh, ESPN has most of the rights to everything. None of that seemed to be as big a problem a few weeks ago, but now all of those things are being brought up. Well, that's right, and that's what we goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier is that I think a lot of people had uh, their feelings hurt uh, by the, the move of Oklahoma and Texas and – that brought on some frustration, which has um, developed into reasons why we have to pause the playoff. Uh, I do think even if the Oklahoma-Texas stuff didn't happen, uh, I think we would be in a situation where we'd have some of these same issues, uh, specifically with the Rose Bowl. That situation wasn't going anywhere Um that, that had nothing to do with Oklahoma and Texas. So that still would have been an issue for sure. Um, and that is one of the, maybe one of the most difficult issues to resolve. And then, 
I think another issue is the potential for only having eight teams in a playoff instead of 12, eliminating that first round. There's a lot of concern. It's too many games or it's, um, you know, the, the winterization, so to speak, of stadiums can't be done. And the overlap of um, the academic schedule and exam schedule, specifically out west, they're on a, uh, they're on, um, I don't know what they call it, but they're on a different academic uh, schedule than, than other parts of the country. And, and so there is some issues that would have been there anyway. Uh, however, I think we probably have more issues um, locked on top of one another because of um, commissioners, uh, you know, wanting to pause things because of what happened with, with Oklahoma and Texas. Ross Dillinger, our guest from Sports Illustrated, talking all things college football. Well, just a couple more, I guess, uh, with the, the, I guess, TV contracts, uh, Ross, uh, for college football in the playoffs, how quickly do you think that they can get out of this, uh, these contracts before 2025 with, if they expand it to 8 or 12 uh, in the playoff? Is there a way to slip out of those contracts and, and make it more profitable for everybody? Well, there's there's a way to add games uh, to the contract, um, but if you if you add in, in right now, from what I understand, the earliest that you could do it is 2024. So it would be the so we're going to have no matter what. I mean, we're, we will have three years of uh, more three more years of the 14 playoff. Um, we might have five five years, five more years of the 14 playoff because the contract runs through 2025. But there is a way to add games starting in 2024 and doing it again in 2025. The issue is that if you add games, ESPN has first right to refuse those games. And uh, now something tells me that ESPN isn't going to refuse those games. So they will have the rights to those games. They will have the rights to the final two years of uh, the first two years of an expanded playoff in the final two years of the contract. And there's some, partly because of what's going on in Oklahoma and Texas, what happened with them, uh, that commissioners don't want to see ESPN have the full control of any expanded playoff. Um, so you'd have to get, I think, in order to agree early on, uh, in order to agree, you know, to, to, to expand the playoff before the contract ends, you'd have to get ESPN to agree to to refuse those extra games and, and have a uh, another media partner uh, control, you know, they have split control of of an expanded playoff, um, which a lot of people think ESPN would never agree to. But I guess you don't know until you ask. And um, uh, you know, I, I just have this feeling that we're we're on our way to uh, potentially having um, four teams, certainly at least another three years, and maybe another five. And lastly. Where does Notre Dame and, you know, big-time independence, but really Notre Dame, fit into this equation uh, down the road, you say? Well, Notre Dame has uh, is the only school with one full vote in the room. Uh, there's 10 FBS commissioners that have a vote, and then Notre Dame's athletic director. And so there's a lot of power there in Jack Swarbrick's hands. And he probably thinks along the same lines as uh, Greg Sankey and um, – and maybe Bob Bowlesby and, and the way he would vote. Um, I, I don't think Notre Dame nor the SEC is going to agree to some to an 18 playoff with six automatic qualifiers. That would just leave you eight two at large teams. Um, 
with the number of teams that are successful in the SEC and the number of overall just teams in the SEC, it'll be 16 in a few years, they want more at large slots. And Notre Dame can't can't win one of those automatic bids, so they want more slots to improve their chances and opportunities. So they're not going to vote for that. Um, in, in the group of five, isn't going to vote for an 18 playoff with uh, – if you do the best eight teams, you know, the top eight teams, I think – I think all the other Power Five conferences probably would go for that, but not the group of five, and you need unanimous support. Ross, great stuff, man. Uh, For people who are interested in college athletics, I tell them all the time they need to follow you just because you seem to be on top of everything that is happening, uh, especially all this business stuff, playoff stuff, at Ross Dellinger, uh, or, of course, anywhere on their uh, favorite Sports Illustrated platforms. Man, thanks for the time again. We always love catching up with you. Appreciate it, Ross. Yeah. No problem. See you guys. Yes, sir. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. A great follow to find if you want to find out what all's going on with all this stuff. Okay, when we come back, I have a sat stat of sacks involving Javon Curse, Harold Landry, and Travis LeBoy. That's next. Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. So um, the Titans, every, I guess it's Thursday, because they always do it on the same day, and today is Thursday, so that would make sense. I'm using my detective abilities here. Your detective. Is those the same abilities you use when you, you dreamed that you were the third-string quarterback for the Titans? Well, my detective <laughs> abilities could have come in handy because maybe I would have found a playbook and learned it in that dream. I never knew the playbook. Um, <clears throat> but the, the playbook for the Titans, I do know that, and it's send out all these extra stats. So if you follow – some of the Titans reporters on Thursday, you know, mid-morning, you'll start getting all these random stats. Well, this week was just, they have doozies. Robbie Bourne and that crew, they come up with some amazing extra stats. So here was one of the ones today. There's a bunch from Derrick Henry, by the way. Derrick Henry, I'll get, I'll get to the one that I teased. So Derrick Henry, according to these stats, averages an all-time NFL high NFL high. Since 1970, that's the modern history of the NFL, which is now 51 years. It didn't used to seem that far away. But that's when the NFL became, at least scheduling-wise, they merged with the AFC or the AFL anyway, since 1970, 51 years. The highest that anybody averages yards per carry in division games is Derrick Henry. More than anybody else since 1970 in division games, he averages uh, 5.84 yards per carry. He is second in yards per game. In division games, he averages 97.1. The only guy with more yards per game in division games is Barry Sanders. In his division. Yes, in his division. So literally, just we're we're just – we can't even – we don't have enough time every week to say Derrick Henry did this and Derrick Henry did that and this is – Five people have done this ever, and seven people have done this well, ever. And we always got time for the king. Is, is that not crazy, though? <laughs> well, well, when this is just a, from this a, week? Well, yeah, when you're a cyborg, I mean, that's what happens. I mean, you, you just set records all over the place. Man, well, I, man, I love – who – do they have the list? I know uh, he sent the supplementary uh, notes. Yeah, no, they, they got you it. Got, I, like, I, who's – like, is Fred Taylor on there, my guy? <laughs> okay. I, I want to know who's on the list. Like, I mean, man, that's – he passed – 
5.84 yards per division games and then 97 yards per okay, game. Okay, per here, division. here you go. I, I got it. I, I had Who to, the all did he pass up? Give me the top five. <laughs> okay, for the yards per game, which only Barry Sanders has more, it's Barry Sanders, Derrick Henry. Hey, give, give us the numbers, though. Barry Sanders, 104.7. All these sound like radio stations. I know, right? Derrick Henry, 97.1. FM. <laughs> Terrell Davis is third. He averaged 93.2. Adrian Peterson averaged 90.8. And number five is Walter Payton, uh, 90.6. Then Edgerin James, then Curtis Martin, then Emmett Smith and Jamal Lewis, who doesn't get a lot of love in these situations, oh, but yeah. was a punishing rascal and, and could and, run. Yeah, and he rushed for 2002. And number 10 is OJ. Oh, man, I was I was trying to see how many of that I played against. I think about five, at least a handful of them. So here is uh, Derrick Henry's number one all time. Since 1970, in, in average yards per carry in division games. So here's here's that list. Now, number two is going to throw you. Number two is is Mercury Morris, who was part of the the Miami backfield with Zonka. Yeah, that, that was before my time. Yeah, uh, they had Zonka and Jim Kick and they, they had Mercury Mark Morris. No, this was before Mark Clayton. Right, exactly. Mark was in the jerk by it, that time. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, Cathedral he, High School. He okay. spent some time in incarceration <laughs> behind bars. Uh, Barry Sanders was number three in average yards per carry. Then Tiki Barber. And here's one for you on this. James Brooks. Do you remember him? He played for Oh, oh I didn't play against the him. The dual I, threat guy with the Bengals. But I watched him. Well, he was with the Chargers at first. I remember I was in high school because, you know, I was a running back. So I paid attention to all the running backs. Yeah, I remember him. Number James, 21. He was fantastic yeah. player, James Brooks. Yeah, Just didn't last that long. Uh, number six is Mojo, Maurice Jones-Drew. Oh, uh, yeah, number seven, D'Angelo Williams. Also, Jamal Charles, they're tied. Number nine is Adrian Peterson. Number 10, O.J. And, and, and kids, all they know about O.J. is maybe what they see in these true life stories. O.J. Simpson had sprinter-type speed yeah. and was a big back and was just incredible. But both his knees just got destroyed playing. His knees – in those days, they couldn't fix knees like they fix knees now. But he only played – O.J. played 11 years. And he played pretty long for a running back. He did. And for a big guy. But he kind of limped through the last few years. Oh, did he? Spent the last two in San Francisco. Yeah. but uh, oh. And he was one of those guys, like 2000 really took a toll on him. Which will be great. But he did it like in less games too, right? He did it in 14 games. Yeah. Yep. He did that in, in 14 games. All right. Here's the, here's the one that I teased. Again, these crazy Titan stat keepers over there. Hats off, Dwight. Yeah, and they get these stats, man? Robbie and everybody over there. I've been keeping those kind of stats when I was playing. Puff. Yeah, on, All right, Robbie. here you go. On, Most Robbie. sacks by Tennessee Titans slash Oilers player in the first 50 games of their career. It's 1982 to present because they didn't start keeping sacks until 1982. Isn't that crazy? Although, oh, Lucas is going to yell yeah, at us. There were like three or four guys who made it a their life's work. They have gone through every old record of every old game and updated sack records from guys who played in like the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, like Al Bubba Baker who played for the Lions. They went, I think they he went through their records. They went or, through their. They went through the film. They went through their records and the film in some cases where they had it available. The records wouldn't have sacks on it because they wouldn't record it. So they how do you looked, take a tackle for a loss as as a sack? You don't know if he was uh, running or yeah. or throwing because the quarterbacks, you know, ran a little bit more back then. But if you look at Pro Football uh, Reference, which is the website I love more than any any website that there is anywhere, um, 
they updated sacks on all those old players. They gave them sack numbers, so it's pretty cool. But this is for the Titans since 1982. Number one, that's easy. Everybody knows it's the freak, Javon Kurse. In their first 50 games. First 50. He had 35 sacks in his first 50 games. Oh, what, what's this? That's less than I thought. Me too. <laughs> Honestly, that's less than I thought too. Yeah, I was like, oh, like 50. I'm thinking, eh, he probably moves around uh, 40-something. <laughs> number two, Harold Landry with 20 sacks. He's number two. Oh, but that's a big jump different, though. It 35, is. That's 15 sacks. Number two, though. That surprised me. And number three is Travis LeBoy. 18 and a half sacks in his first 50 games. Because I remember that dude, and I thought, I wonder what he did after that. In his whole career, in his entire career, he had 29 and a half, and he had 18 and a half oh. in his first 50 games. He lasted uh, a little bit beyond that. He played for the Oilers, uh, Cardinals, and then briefly for the 49ers and uh, the Chargers. Yeah. But that he, dude was – he was, was getting the boss in his first – did he play 50 show games? Jarrell Casey was next. He had 18, so it's 35-20 for Landry, 18-and-a-half for LeBoy. Jarrell Casey had 18. Oh, you said 18. And, and then uh, Kenny Holmes and Ray Childers each had 17-and-a-half. Oh, wow. Yeah. First, first 50 games. Oh, man, I'm surprised, like, Sean Jones and William Fuller not on there. Me too. Oh. First 50 games. Got you thinking today. All right, uh, let's give you the latest on what's up with the Titans uh, practice-wise. A Colts practice note about quarterbacks and uh, even the Titans uh, defensive coordinator talking about how in the world do you get ready for multiple quarterbacks. I want to ask Blaine that too. We'll do all that coming up. Doug Matthews too in the second hour of Blaine and Mickey.